Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Ogletree Deacons podcast. My name is Karen Tynan, and I'm a shareholder in the Sacramento, California office. Here with me today is Kevin Bland, an Orange County shareholder, and we are talking about the California Outdoor Heat Illness Regulations. This podcast is a deep dive into the California Outdoor Heat Illness Standard, including implementation and Cal OSHA enforcement. Are you ready, Kevin? I am ready. (laughs) Great. So let's start out by talking about how we got here, the history of the heat illness regulations so that the listeners can really understand the foundation of the California Cal OSHA heat illness standard. Give us that background. Sure. Well, it started many, many moons ago, actually under the Schwarzenegger administration back in the day when he was our governor. Um, It started out with a lot of... uh, fatalities that were occurring, primarily in ag, uh, a few in construction. And uh, there was a negotiated uh, rule. It's been through about two or three iterations to get to the one we have today. And um, it's been a high focus area of Cal OSHA since, right? And uh, and it still is a focus area today. One little backdrop of the focus area, uh, there was a lawsuit uh, filed against Cal OSHA on the enforcement side. That's why it's been an emphasis ever since for probably the last 10 years maybe. Now I've lost track of time, but (laughs) for a while, and it still is. And we get this question sometimes from clients, right, Karen, whenever they're out for a, a fall fatality and they want to see the heat illness program. Right, and the inspectors really do focus on demanding the heat illness program and also asking employees questions about heat illness uh, training and implementation of the program in a lot of different types of inspections. So I think it's time well spent to understand the focus that Cal OSHA has because of some of the fatalities that occurred with people working in agriculture who basically, you know, there were fatalities on the side of the road, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And another thing that happens with that, when you talk about asking, uh, wanting, demanding the program, it is one of the only regulations that says immediately provide upon demand. I'm paraphrasing, but that means you have to hand it to them when they ask for it. And I've seen some tickets uh, or citations where they said, oh, it's back in the office. I'll give it to you in response to the document request. Citation, because you have to have it available at every job site and hand it to them immediately. Absolutely. That's the reason for the the binder in the foreman's truck, right? Exactly. (laughs) So we talked about the background, and I, I love the practice pointer of availability of the heat illness plan. So let's talk about training. What are the employee training requirements and and what is going to make for effective training for a California employer for outdoor heat illness, Kev? Well, effective training, we'll get to in a second because <laughs> that's a big, uh, a big issue that we see, uh, Karen, in uh, investigations is the training not being effective. But before we get to that, 
I want to. Uh, there's one practice pointer I think is important, and I have seen some programs that will fail to say uh, separate supervisor outdoor heat illness training and employee outdoor right. heat illness training, right? Because it requires both. Now, although yes. there's not a big difference in what they're trained on, they are expecting you to have that delineated. So one, practice pointer number one, save you a citation, make sure you've identified the training for both, right? Supervisor and employees. Then when it comes to the substance of the training, that's enumerated in uh, the regulation, which won't cover every point of that, but the basics of it is make sure they understand your procedures. Where do we find the heat illness program, right? Uh, it's in the truck in the binder. Number two is what are your procedures? Like if you have a water replenishment program, what is it? The employees and supervisors should be able to explain that. What is a climatization? Yes. What do you do in a high heat uh, situation? And then what are symptoms? A lot of folks get the symptoms mixed up. So you need to train to the symptoms. Now, Karen, you've probably seen this before where they come out, they interview an employee on the spot, and they ask them the heat illness questions. And they fail the pop quiz, right? right? So they aren't able to answer every single thing on there. And then they say, oh, that's citation for ineffective training. So this is somewhere where it's important, to, especially during the, the heat season, right. to like your tailgates or do reminders so that stuff is fresh in their mind. The other thing is trying to use the words in the training that match What's like acclimatization. In, exactly, exactly. Uh, my favorite when I'm sitting in an interview is when they ask what acclimatization and, the, and, and I see the employee go blank. I go, hey, uh, what do you do if it's been cold and it starts getting hot, right? Right. That's acclimatization. What do you, what do you need to think about? So those types of things. What do, you, what do you see, Karen, in that arena different from what I've laid out? No, here? I like everything you said, and I think with training – employers do tend to focus on annual training that's you know given out in the spring you've got to have that onboarding training right yeah. as part of your overall safety training you've got to have onboarding annual training and i like the tailgates the jhas in the morning where you're having heat illness reminders hey guys or gals let's all remember to drink water every 20 minutes today uh, let's all remember where the shade is. The right. shade's in this pop-up over here. And I think that when you you consider that to be training, those kind of reminders are part of training and, and are viewed as part of training, right? It, exactly, exactly. And another one that comes, how long are your breaks, your, your recovery periods? that People forget to train on the, right. the timing of that, at least um, uh, five minutes, and if they need more for recovery, uh, they get that. Um, so I think those are really important points uh, to to make sure you're 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 doing in your training. One last thing on onboarding, Karen is I provide to the clients, and I know you do too, uh, making sure in their onboarding they have identified whether they're acclimatized already or not. Otherwise, you right. have to go through steps. So a statement: I have worked outdoor in similar conditions over for the past. 14 days, even if it wasn't for you, this employer, if you right. can identify and you have them check off, I have or I have not. If they haven't, then you got to acclimatize them if they have. But that saves a lot because you can show in your onboarding that you asked that question and they answered it. I think that's a good point, especially for staffing agencies and for those in construction where you have people move from site to site, whether it's framers, iron workers, whatever. 
those type of people that may be working for Kevin Bland and company on Monday and Karen Tyne and company on Thursday, right? So I like that practice pointer. Now, in the training, of course, people are going to receive training about the importance of consuming water and how much per hour and things like that. But what about the provision of water? Because that is a top citation that we see. I've run the, the research on this and the top heat illness citation in California the last five years running is a failure to provide water, either quantity, cool, or within a location. So let's talk about water. Sure. Yeah. And, and like you say, that's, that is a big bugaboo. And I found it most of the time when we get a, a water citation, it isn't because they don't provide water. But what happens oftentimes is, hey, the employees like to bring their own jug. Well, that doesn't explicate you from having the water there for them. Just because they bring their own water, you have to have you have to be providing water in addition. They can bring their own water, but if that's how you rely on that, then you have to make sure you're cleaning their jug every morning for them before they bring it right. to work. Make sure it has an adequate amount. Make sure it's potable. Make sure it's cool. They just start with one quart per hour per uh, employee and then replenish. The other thing to get caught up on is the replenishment program, making sure that your supervisors know what the replenishment program is. Hey, I check it every hour. If it gets down below half a igloo, I go to the store, I get more ice. The other thing is location, too. <laughs> if you want to right. talk a little bit about that recent case on location. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. So in 2023, you know, we had a, a decision after reconsideration, what's called a DAR. And that was the first case that really parsed up the importance of water location being accessible to the employees. And an agriculture employer got dinged with serious repeat citations because the workers had to travel too far to get to the water and it was workers in rows and the water was at the end of particular rows, but the workers had to go across rows, down rows. It just really was not close enough. And it's not that the regulation says within so many feet, right? No, I think it says as close as practicable. Yes, and so part of what I think a lot of employers after that case are taking a look at is making sure that they've got plenty, the quantity, plenty of water, but that it's also close. And in agriculture, if you have to have more than one or two of the igloos, totally fine, right? So, so making sure that you don't have to climb over things to get to water, things like that. I think it's critical and it's such an easy citation for an inspector to give because they can use their tape measure or pace it off and say workers had to walk 2,000 feet to get water. That's not going to work, right? Right, exactly. And I actually had a case like that where they claimed it was so many yards away, but they didn't time it. And okay. so we, I had uh, in that case, and we actually beat it, I had the slowest, oldest employee we had walk it four times and it averaged about 17 seconds to get there. And so we beat it on that, but those are things that you got to think about, right? And when exactly. you're talking about this location, water location issue, you'll see on roofers, you don't necessarily want the igloo though on the roof, but they better be able to get down to the next level pretty easy That's a good and point. efficiently 
because it's going to stay cooler, right? right? You don't necessarily want it up there. So there's things like that to, to consider. It's hard to have a, a bright line rule that everybody wants with this, but right. you need to be able to argue why it's practicable and why it's safe the way you have your water. I think those are good points. Now, in addition to water, shade requirements. I, I see inspectors when they go out, uh, especially in agriculture, construction, wanting to see pop-ups, wanting to see shade areas or trailers. Can you talk a little bit about what you see related to the shade regulations and what kind of enforcement you see for the shade requirements? Um, Sure. So I just had a recent case where their program said shade will be provided at 80 degrees. That sounds right, right? Well, that isn't exactly what the law says. It says shade will be up at 80 degrees and available. I don't care if it's 20 degrees out, you gotta have shade there available. So making sure that your program matches what the requirements are, making sure that you can, uh, folks, uh, if for some reason everybody needed a recovery break at at one time, you have enough Mm -hmm. shade there to, to, and we had this joke when we were in the advisory committees, stop touching me. Make sure they can be there uh, without being jammed into uh, the shade. Now, in, in construction versus ag, so ag, you don't have natural shade. You may have some natural shade, trees maybe at the end yes. of the line, but your plants and your vines aren't going to count if you got to lay down under the those right. for shade. So pop-up shade. Construction, when you first uh, are starting out, you're doing the slab work, of course, then you're going to need pop-ups or some sort of shade structure. Eventually, as long as it's open air and restricts sunlight, like a framed house, and they can use the uh, garages uh, right. that are framed and they're still open air, you can use that. So uh, there isn't a bright line rule on shade, but you're going to look at one. When it's 80 degrees, you better have shade up and everyone better know where the shade is that they're supposed to access. I hear this all the time too, trucks. Well, my truck has air conditioning in it. Well, what Kalosha's requirement is, if you're using a truck air conditioned for your shade, it's got to be running so they can't wait for it to cool right. off once they get in it. And so it really makes it a non-issue, right? You, you can't really right. use the truck unless you're going to leave it running and then that gets into air issues and things. So, No, I agree with you. And I have had an unpleasant shade case where the employer in an outdoor situation said, oh, there's some trees over there for shade. Unfortunately, it was brambles and poison ivy and everything else. And and I think the workers were pretty reasonably irritated that, it, yeah, there, there are trees there, but it's not really realistic for us to be in this area. And so I think being thoughtful and making sure that the shade is as close as practicable, that you have space between people, people can sit down, uh, because you do need to recover in the shade. And I've also had the truck issue, right? And where someone feels a little overheated, they're going to go sit in the truck with the air conditioner running great. But but then they still were hot because of the sun coming in the windows, right? I, I just don't like the idea of trucks. Right. Or, or people thinking, oh, well, if Susan's overheated, we're going to have her go sit in a truck with a bag of ice on her lap. Eh, that's that's just not really a great plan. So, and and we're clearly speaking from experience about litigating some of these. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. so adopt some of these uh, best practices. 
Now, you already mentioned acclimatization, but let's talk a little bit about the nuances of that and some of the difficulties, Kevin. Right. So acclimatization is basically someone that has not worked in that in, in a, a temperature that's exceeding starting probably I would say if you think about it, around 75 or 80 degrees uh, doesn't have mm -hmm. a temperature but it says you know a, a climate other than what the environment you're in now 14 days so what do you do if you have a new employee they just moved here from winter in Alaska and now for some reason are out in Palm Desert California and right. it's 85 degrees in December what do you have to do well, one of the things you have to do is monitor them. Watch them closely for the first 14 days, and that's the climatization period. Uh, maybe uh, uh, train them so that they understand more breaks. Let's make sure your supervisor understands more breaks. There is talking about maybe a lesser shift or a less strenuous uh, right, for the day. Right, maybe just working four hours instead of eight. Right, right. And, and so, but you need to document what you're doing for that acclimatization period, right? Yes. And so that is a big one. And here's the interesting uh, practice pointer. I haven't seen very many citations on failure to acclimatize. I've seen a ton of citations on failure to train an employee on what acclimatization is. <laughs> and they can't answer point. that question when they're, yeah. So education on acclimatization is probably uh, one of the, the, the key points. My dad would call acclimatization one of those 50-cent words, right? Yeah. <laughs> one of those fancy words you, you learn in your education, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I still can't spell it. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So we've talked about quite a few elements. I want to briefly touch on high heat procedures because they're not for every industry, but certainly uh, high heat does happen over 95 degrees in the Central Valley, in the L.A. area, even in the Bay Area. I mean, I, I don't think there are a lot of areas in the state that don't face high heat and having that kick in at the 95 degrees. So let's just briefly touch on, are there a few points for California employers to be mindful of when you do have that high heat? No, exactly. And basically, you kind of alluded to 95 degrees. That's the trigger for high heat. Now, not to be confused with heat wave, which is another uh, uh, topic, but high heat procedures in your program and in practice, you can't just have in your program and not do anything about it. When the temperature hits 95 degrees, you're going to need to make sure that your foreman or your supervisor that doesn't observe more than 20 or fewer employees or establish a buddy system or some other it's the term is other effective means of observing consistent so in other words keep a closer eye on your employees yes. during the high heat temperature time just an aside there was a, a, a interesting enough how we ended up at 95 degrees I think when this was being negotiated, we wanted uh, we were talking about 100 or 105 degrees. Now, ironically, there was a, uh, you might, might have heard about it, the assembly bill where they were saying, hey, we need another one at 105 degrees uh, for severe heat. Well, ironically, we we brought what we were going to do at 105 down to 95, and everyone has <laughs> exactly. forgotten that. But 
we do see once in a while citations on this, and it's just failure to implement your procedure or failure for your program to have all the points that are spelled out as options. There's not one single thing. If you're doing one of them, maybe, you're, maybe yours is the buddy system. Everybody's paired up that day. 95 degrees, safety meeting in the morning, go to work, okay, Jim, you're with Jill, so on and so forth, so you guys are keeping an eye on each other. That's that's complying with the high heat standard as far as a system to deal with the high heat temperature. And I think it's critical to have those pre-shift meetings and make sure that in your JHA document, your tailgate document, where people are signing and you're, you're making notes about topics that are discussed regarding safety that day, you've got to hit on high heat, we're, we're all going to be drinking water more frequently. We've implemented a buddy system. Uh, we're, we're having more breaks today. Uh, making sure that it's documented uh, is critical. So anything else on high heat or that you've seen in heat illness inspections that we can close out with, Kev? Uh, no, I just want to put an emphasis point on the one thing that you had said that morning meeting. You are required to have a morning meeting whenever it's predicted to hit 95 degrees. And so document it, making sure that you've identified that. So that's very, very important. Remind them of the, of the uh, cool down rest periods as well. Okay, Kev. So um, we've talked uh, throughout this podcast about uh, things that we've seen in inspections, tactics, requests, best practices. Anything else on heat illness inspections in California that you've seen that you'd like to draw our attention to as we close out? Yeah, and I think part of it's a repeat of what we started with. At the end of the day, training, document the training, make sure the, the employees understand some of those terms of art the best you can. Now there's also translation issues, right? If you may not have a English speaking crew, but document i can't stress enough documenting it because if they fail the test you have yes. a chance you have a shot if they've signed and let's say they're spanish speaking and the 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 training was in spanish and they've signed that document that says who trained it so document it the other thing is making sure that everybody understands shade is available all the time but yes. is up at 80 degrees yes making sure you're onboarding They've gotten training before they're going to their outdoor workplace, making sure that you've identified whether they're acclimatized or not. Those two big points we see tickets on. And also don't be surprised at no matter what time of the year, what <laughs> the issue is they're there for, they're gonna ask and review, ask you about your heat, outdoor heat illness program and review it and probably ask employees questions about it, no matter what. It could be 50 degrees in February in Hermosa Beach. It doesn't matter. Right. I agree with you on that. And the other question in inspections that I see employees get asked is about emergency procedures. So I like that to be really clear and articulated and easy to understand for workers so they can pair it back if asked so they understand those procedures and can act it's not just oh we'll call 911 if something happens that's an excellent point <laughs> i should should have brought that up the 911 thing even if that is what you do they still have to be able to give 911 directions to this job site what's the cross streets what right. gate do they come in those sorts of things uh which are 
very important. I, I suggest that every job site you have it written on the thing. Right. On the thing. So, and if at the very least they know where they go to get and read it and get on the phone. Yeah, great closing, Kevin. So thanks for listening to Karen and Kevin today. Look for our blog articles on ogletree.com. We have recorded webinars related to Cal OSHA and workplace safety. We have quite a few other workplace safety podcasts. So take care and stay safe. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.